Please take your Bibles and go to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, if you need a Bible, the chair in front of you, if you start in Genesis, find page 192 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. The black Bible, page 192, Judges, chapter 14. Judges 14. Judges chapter 14, again this month, it's 14, 15, and 16. We're going to finish up the book of Judges this month. Judges chapter 14, the life and the story of Samson. Judges chapter 14, again page 192 in that black Bible. I'll read and then we'll jump in with both feet. Judges chapter 14, then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of Yahweh, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines, and at that time the Philistines were ruling over Israel. (laughs) Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion roared toward him, and the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him mightily so that he tore the lion as one tears a kid, not a kid kid, but a baby goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she was good in Samson's eyes. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Verse 10, Then his father went down to the woman and Samson made a feast there for the young men customarily did this and it came about when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him then Samson said to them let me now propound a riddle to you if, if you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes but if you're unable to tell me then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 chains of clothes. And they said to him, propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. That's how he sang it too. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the, some versions say, seventh day, that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may tell us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And you do not love me. You've propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and I've not told it to me. And he said to her, I haven't even told my father and mother, so why should I tell you? That's paraphrase so however she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted and it came about on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so hard she then told the riddle to the sons of her people so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than lion that's how she they sang it and he said to them if you'd not plowed with my heifer you would not have found out my riddle that's how he sang it 
Then the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him mightily and he went down to Ascalon and 30, killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes to those who told them, told the riddle. And his anger burned and he went up to his father's house but Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend or best man. I had told you um, at the beginning of this year that I was going to start reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, I finished the Chronicles of Narnia, I think, in March. And I started reading uh, the um, uh, Tolkien books. I started with The Hobbit. And then I've actually read all The Hobbit and all three books of Lord of the Rings. I finished that. I still need to read the Silmarillion. Silmarillion. I still have to read this from <laughs> I still need to read that one uh, but uh, uh, now I'm actually reading uh, uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society I started the book one I think there's four books on that one five books on that one so I started reading that one uh, I stayed up too late last night too it was like 10.55 like oh I gotta go to bed I'm like reading like, put it away I was so engaged with the book anyways yeah, it, it was intriguing reading the Lord of the Rings the trilogy and, and what, in, what intrigued me the most is if you've read the books, you know that how Frodo and Sam are presented in the books is very different from how they're presented in the movies. In the movies, Frodo and Sam, and even the other two hobbits, Sam and Mary, they're, they're okay, they're kind of brave, kind of courageous. In the books, no. These guys had it. They were the heroes of the books plural the most unlikely people they were courageous they were brave they went after it and you wouldn't think this because they were hobbits they were small halflings they were like children oh look at those pathetic looking kids and then like you know they they come out I mean he thought of them to be weak that's one of the ironies of the books as you read them, you would think that this person would be the, the hero and this person would be the hero. But then you find out Aragorn, who's the king, he ends up bowing to them. They're the heroes. Despite their smallness, their weakness, and despite your weakness, Despite your failures, believe me, there's many. You got it. I have many too. Despite our many blunders, God will still use us for his glory to accomplish his plan. And that's what you see here in chapter here in chapter 14. Put up here the theme. Don't forget the theme his overwhelming love for his people, his never-ending love for his people, his relentless love for his people that loves there despite our failures and weaknesses. His love remains despite your failures, despite your weaknesses, despite your blunders, Despite our failures and weaknesses, God will accomplish all his purposes, displaying his glory and his love for us, his chosen people. 
I mean, the greatest display of weakness, the greatest display of, so to speak, failure is the cross. I mean, that's where you see failure. That's where you see weakness. No, that's where you see victory. That's where you see strength. In the world's eyes, it's failure. In the world's eyes, it's weakness. But to God, to us, it's the power of God. What looked like failure was actually victory. It gives us such great hope, hope that he'll use our weaknesses and even our sin to fulfill his plans. I mean, you know the phrase, right? There in Genesis, Jacob dies and the brothers are scared because they sold Joseph into slavery. You remember? They sold Joseph into slavery and his brothers came and they're like, oh, we remember what we did. Oh, they bowed down to him. He says, look, I'm not in the place of God. What we mean for evil, God, according to his sovereign decree, he means for good. People do bad things, but God's greater than that. God still faithfully loves us and faithfully orchestrates all things in his providence so that we would be a people who chiefly love and want him and so that he gets all the glory. Samson's not the hero. God is. Samson's not the hero here. Yahweh is. He's the real hero. Because you see Samson and and everything, what he's doing. But God used this real historical event, the story of Samson, to teach his people the great truth of his love for sinners by showing them his gracious compassion. He's the real hero. And we can almost think of Samson as a a mini Israel. As Israel was set apart for Yahweh, so so was Samson set apart for Yahweh. And as Samson played the harlot with his weaknesses and his failures, so did Israel with their weaknesses and their failures. But Samson is a type of Christ. The type is in the Old Testament. The anti-type is in the New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus who would be faithful and fully dedicated to God, unlike Samson, having a life of perfection and obedience, unlike Samson, and solely loving and desiring God in His Word, unlike Israel, and then dying for us to save us. Is that amazing or what? God and his plan will accomplish what he's going to do. You have a chapter here that's filled with secrets. Well, not for us. We, we see the end game, right? We can read it and be like, ah. And not for Yahweh. He was working all things out for his glory. Even this strong, weak man to accomplish his good and perfect purposes for his people to save his people and deliver his people. Would you see that beginning? Would you see that in verse 20? 
So God's spirit was driving Samson through the acts of his will to achieve God's purposes. That's what he does. And it just seemed like Samson just wanted to indulge his desires with no regard for his Nazarite vow. Yeah, sort of. But God, who foreordains all things, would use him to display his glory. I've read this to you in messages past in the book of Judges. I've read this to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith about God's decree. Let me read this to you again because this communicates well and it's, it's helpful to us. Westminster Confession of Faith says this about God's decree, quote, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So it's everything. Every decision you ever make, you will make, have made everything has been foreordained. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather it's established. What, what, what does that mean? Uh, Judges chapter 14. That's how it works itself out. That's what you see. Samson making all of these decisions, and yet God is the one who's planted it all. He planned it all. As we see these historical events unfold before us, we see Yahweh working out all things for his glory of his name and the good of his people, even when they were unaware and in spite of their sin and waywardness. See, that's why God truly is the hero. See, this gives you great assurance. Here's the assurance it gives us. When we are least aware of it, and even in the midst of our waywardness, God will work out all things to show his glory and bring his grace upon his people. You can be assured of that, man. You can take that to the bank. It begins with the failure. It begins with the weakness. I put it like this, despite... Failure and weakness, verse 1 through 3. Verse 1, he went down to Timnah. He saw a woman in Timnah. Timnah is between uh, Judah and what was at that time Dan. Samson was about 20 years old now. And remember, the Philistines ruled over them for 40 years, so it's been about 20 years. Now, the Philistine rule was a little bit more subtle, and Judah had become content with it. Life had become normal being their slaves. It's too bad it was like this. But he saw of the daughters of the Philistines. He came back to his father and mother. Verse 2, I saw a woman. Get her for me as a wife. I want her. Get her for me. I mean, his parents would be crushed. Look at verse uh, 3. Said to him, his father and mother, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? You have to go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Almost in anger. He pled for him to look at the women of his own people. She's a pagan, Samson. We're not supposed to intermarry with them, Samson. It's sad he ended the same way he began. He, he had a weakness for women. <laughs> what he says here, end of verse 4, but Samson said to his father, 
get her for me. No, I want her. That's how you can translate it for today. And it's very clear. This was a weak point in his character. Lust and passion. Yeah. Like many young men today who struggle with pornography. Who struggle with their passions. But (laughs) Samson didn't care. What he wanted is what he wanted. He sees it. I'm going to take it. That's how he would. Despite failure weaknesses, notice God's purpose. Verse 4. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of Yahweh. He, he, Yahweh, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines and at that time the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Was Samson driven by his glands? Oh yeah. Typical judges kind of guy. He did what was right in his own eyes. He fit well. He wanted this girl bad, but Yahweh was working his will to use this ordained opportunity to strike the Philistines by using Samson. Do you see this? One writer put, this is a a fascinating story between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. I mean, you have Samson's stubbornness, his weak passion, even his foolishness was unable to stop Yahweh from accomplishing his plans and design. And the same thing goes for us. We're stubborn, we're strong in our passions, we're foolish in our decisions, and yet God is sovereign. One writer put it like this, quote, Yahweh can and will use the sinfulness or stupidity of his servants as the camouflage for bringing his secret will to pass. End quote. Now, does this give us a license to be stubborn? No. Does this give us a license to let our passions go? No. Does this give us a license to be foolish? No. But the fact of the matter is, you will be stubborn, you will be sinful, you will be stupid, you will be foolish. I can attest to that in my own life. But God will use us for His glory despite us, not because of us. It's not going to be because of you. It's not going to definitely be because of me. It's going to be because He's very gracious. And His love. You know, this chapter, it gives us such great hope because it looks like failure. You actually see glory actually see his love what we mean for evil God will mean for his and our good (laughs) one writer put it like this God will always work in spite sorry God will always work in spite of your quote yuck and muck end quote I like the yuck and muck I like that (laughs) and and the writer in this he, he brought up the smell of onions. Now you might smell onions and you might like that. Lots of people don't like the smell of onions by themselves. It's just kind of, not to mention it's like you smell like, whoa, that's like really strong, right? So you see this thing in your life and all you smell is the smell of onions. And we're unable to see the thick 
juicy, tasty, cheese running down hamburger upon which those onions go with the tomato and the lettuce and all the fixings and that nice, beautiful hamburger. But all you see is what? All you smell is what? The onions. But you don't see the big picture, do you? We don't see it all. All we smell is the flavor of the onions. All we see are the onions. We can't see the whole plan. You know, we've talked about this before. God is never dull, is he? He's never boring. He's not lifeless. I'm boring. Hopefully this message isn't boring. But God's not boring. He's not lifeless. He's not dull. He creatively uses all events to show how awesome and great that he is so that he gets the glory and then we as his people, we get him and his love as our eternal reward. Remember we talked about that last week? What do you receive? You receive him and you receive his love. That's your eternal reward and he gets all the glory. You know, it's, it's so encouraging as well when you see here about Samson's parents and then Samson wanting this wife from the Philistines. This turned out horrible. Sometimes you wonder what may become of one of your kids who willfully walk away from the Lord. And all we think about is the should-haves and could-haves and would-haves. But we fail to read this part. Remember, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of Yahweh. And then the writer, he says this, which I think is appropriate, quote, what we don't know may yet prove to be our deepest comfort. Amen. So you have despite failure and weakness, you have God's purpose, and then look at you see God's glory. Verse five and six. Samson went down to Timnah with his father. So he was, his, his parents had gone ahead, he was maybe farther back, and a lion roared upon him, and yet Yahweh's spirit rushed upon Samson, giving him a tremendous amount of human strength. Now, now it seemed like he already had this strength given the Nazarite vow, but, but really it was linked to the spirit rushing upon him mightily. And he takes this and lying and tears it in half, like a kid, not a kid kid, but it, it is a baby goat. That's what he's talking about. And this was a sign to Samson. When this happened to Samson, it was a sign because what Yahweh was communicating, this was how Yahweh was going to use him for his glory to begin to judge the Philistines. In other words, Samson should see how inadequate he was, but how adequate Yahweh would be. Samson should have seen how inadequate he was, but how adequate Yahweh would be so he could rely on Yahweh in the near future. That's what he should have seen. And remember, Samson is a mini-Israel Israel should have seen this. They should have seen that they're so inadequate without Yahweh, but they can be so adequate with Yahweh behind them so they can rely on him in the future. Oh, maybe that's something for us too, right? 
So you see God's glory displayed here in verse five and six. But notice he did not tell what his father and mother what he had done. That's for later. Because then it moves back into failure and weakness despite failure and weakness. And that's not only verses seven, eight, nine, ten, but it's also only, only verse 18. Notice what happens in verses seven, eight, and nine. Uh, he went down, talked to a woman. She looked good in his eyes. Verse eight, he returned later. He turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. There's swarm of bees. Honey was there. He scraped the honey into his hands, went on eating as he went. Honey was inside the dead lion. He was not to touch anything unclean per the Nazarite vow. Remember that? But he broke it, and then he gave it to his parents. Nice. What was he doing? He knew better than that. He did not tell them that he scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. So there, here's the weakness. Notice verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there. Verse 11 came about when they saw him. They brought 30 companions, probably bodyguards, these 30 guys. He was in hostile territory. But Samson's passions are seen here. He couldn't come to terms with his separateness in these two instances. First, he ate honey from a dead lion, and now he possibly drank wine. Now, I know it's conjecture. We're not totally sure. But the word here that you have in verse 10, Samson made a feast, literally means a place of drinking. He's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be drinking any strong drink or wine, isn't he? Now, and I know. Some guys say, well, it's possible he didn't really drink it, he just served it. Uh, okay. Sure. I guess it's safe to say it was possible. We're not absolutely certain that he drank it. But still, more of Samson's weakness comes out. And yet again, we, as we walk through this section and really the rest of his life, we see as many Israel, he's set apart by God, he used by God for his glory, and yet they played the harlot over and over and over again. Where? In the book of Judges. But God will use them anyways, Israel. Because through Israel, in spite of all her weaknesses, in spite of all her stupidity, in spite of all her foolishness, from Israel would come the deliverer, the Messiah, our Redeemer. So God was going to preserve his people. Isn't that great? You still see this. Well, as it continues on, notice verse 12. The riddle issue. Samson's at the feast. He challenges these Philistines. I'm going to try out a riddle on you. And if I win, or excuse me, if you win, I'll give you 30 sets of underwear. All the kids are like, eh. And 30 new suits from Wynn's Warehouse. But if, so if you win, I'll give it to you. But if, if you lose, then I get those from you. Now, these clothes would be made, this fine linen, they're made of linen, so they're of high quality. Making these clothes, it was a nice prize, big time. So they said, propound the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, verse 14. Out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So then, and some versions say fourth day, and other versions say the seventh day, the Old ancient um, manuscripts have seventh day. But whichever one, the point is they couldn't figure it out and so they went to Samson's wife and they said, get your husband to tell us what this thing is. To tell you so you can tell us, in other words. We don't want to lose to this Israeli slave. <laughs> no. 
They became desperate, so they threatened the bride. Notice in verse 15, we'll burn you and your father's house with fire. Oh, that's nice. If you don't get him to tell you the riddle, and notice verse 16, she pressured him. You only hate me. (laughs) You don't love me. You prepare a riddle. There's none of my people. I even told my father and mother, why should I tell you? But then he caved into her, one writer put it like this, her conjoling, her nagging, and she was probably, possibly even doing it for the full seven days, and then they pushed her on the seventh day. Now he was going to teach them a lesson, so they, they came to him, and right, notice verse 18, they said to him on the seventh day, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plow with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. In other words, heifers were not normally used for plowing. In other words, the 30 did not play the game fair, and he was ticked off. Now, before we go into the lesson that we're going to go into, verse 19 and 20, let's stop here. Samson should have learned his lesson. He should have learned his lesson from this episode with this woman and her people. They could not be trusted. He didn't learn his lesson. We look at Samson's story and very easily point out what went wrong, can't we? He should have learned his lesson. What's wrong with you, Samson? Because what's going to happen? Another chapter or two later? Same thing with Delilah. Same, almost same exact thing. We can look at Samson's whole story and very easily point out where he went wrong and where he'll go wrong again with Delilah. Yahweh's strong servant, he had a huge weakness and it would come back to bite him hard. And yet, you know, we're so quick to judge Samson when, uh, you know, what's probably happening is that we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. There go I but the grace of God. You know, we know the end story, but you don't know the end story of your life, do you? We're so quick to judge Samson, and yet be careful, we need to be careful that we're saying, look, there go I but God's grace in my own life, huh? So uh, we're pointing out his failure, we're pointing out his weakness, verse 7 all the way to verse 18, and yet the great part about this, the end of this chapter, you see the glory and the love of God displayed in verse 19 and 20. God's glory, God's love, how is that displayed? Let me show you, verse 19. Notice the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him mightily. What did he do? He went to Ascalon, which was over 20 miles away. Ascalon was one of the five key Philistine centers. He killed 30 nicely dressed Philistines. He took their clothes and then he gave it to those jerks. Wow, that's like getting back at them. He was ticked off. He was so mad. He was so mad that he left his new wife. Notice the end of verse 19. And his anger burned. He went to his father's house, but Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend, even his best man. And if the wedding had not been consummated, she could legally be given to another, and she was. And chapter 15, that's going to be bad because you're going to see what's going to happen with that. Now, 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 before we start saying to Samson, well, you, you got a real bad temper, Samson. Hold on, time out. Take it easy. 
Don't look so much for, upon Samson's horrible temper, but the fact that Yahweh's spirit came upon him. What was he beginning to do? Do you remember the prophecy? He would begin to deliver Israel. What is this? God was accomplishing his purposes for his people to deliver him. Here's God's great love for his people. We're so quick to see that, oh, it's just explained, it's just so mad, it's just doing this, and, blah, blah. So we, and, and yet we've forgotten the big picture of what God's trying to do. He was beginning to deliver Israel because what's going to happen now? The Philistines, instead of focusing their attention on Israel, now they're going to be ticked off at Samson. And then Samson's going to come along and start judging and taking out Philistines. Why? Because God is going to show his love to his people because he's faithful to his people. Don't miss that. Don't miss the glory of God and the love of God that you see here. And really, you see a small window looking at the Lord Jesus. You actually see that too. Who would do the Father's will in the power of the Spirit and yet he'd be perfect and then he would go die on a cross for us as sinners. Samson is a type of Christ and yet Jesus would be perfect and yet Jesus would die for sinners. Don't miss that part because Jesus would come to deliver his people from their sins. Are you here? Have you been delivered from your sins? Do you need to be rescued? Do you need to come and experience the love of God? Repent and trust Christ. God's love is offered freely to you. Come and he will save you. Come and he will deliver you from your sin. You know, what we mean for evil, God, according to his decree, he will always mean it for good. He will use our weaknesses and even our sin to fulfill his plans. He'll do it. He's faithful to do that. Where we only see this part, where we only see this little aspect God's accomplishing his perfect design and plan. Despite our failures and weaknesses, God will accomplish all his purposes, displaying his glory and his love for us, his chosen people. He'll always do that. And remember, the cross is truly the epitome of weakness and failure. Because what looked like Jesus being totally weak and God truly failed. Jesus says it's finished and God won the victory which is perfect because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning where you get to think and actually feel and taste the victory that was on your behalf. Jesus dying for your sins offering himself as our substitute. And if you're here you're not a Christian these elements are not for you instead let them let it be a show or a, a sign to you. This is what we believe as the gospel, the inherent part of the gospel. We believe Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us. He was our substitute. And we actually taste and actually feel it. Actually a tangible way where we see the gospel at, at play before us. And if you're here and, and you come from a different church or something like that, if you come from a church of like faith and practice, we would prefer you're baptized by immersion. You can partake the elements with us. Even though you say, well, I'm not a member here. No, oh, your church of like faith and practice, be a part of that with us. It's a display of the gospel, really, and of God's 
seemingly weakness, seemingly failure, but it's the power of God and it's the victory of God. Let's take a moment, let's pray, preparing our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, we come thanking you. You've spoken from your word. We do not take this lightly. We're so grateful that despite our failures and weaknesses, you use us for your glory. You're going to accomplish your plan. Encourage us with this truth. And thank you that the cross is the epitome, seemingly looking like failure, seemingly looking like weakness. But instead, it's victory power of God it's the cross that saves us and it's trusting in Christ Jesus you save us thank you for the life of Samson thank you Yahweh God that you're the real hero using Samson it gives us this great hope Hope in Christ, hope in your plan, hope in your promises, hope in your goodness, hope in your faithfulness. So I want to encourage you at this time. Just take a few moments. Give me a few moments of silence for you to ponder, think, and to prepare your heart to partake of the Lord's Supper. We examine our hearts because we say, or once again, I, I remind myself of my love for you and how much you've loved me and your son. I remind myself how much I need you. I remind myself of my desire to follow you. So let those thoughts run through your head in these next few moments as of silence, as we have silence. And then we'll, Jane will play and then we'll sing and all those things. But just about a minute for you to prepare your heart as we partake of the Lord's Supper together and remember what Jesus has done.